Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Alhamdulillah, since last Ramadan, over 4 million people have benefited from, listened to, and downloaded the Qalam Podcast. Tens of thousands of people have benefited from and learned from the various classes, intensives, and seminars that Qalam provides. And inshallah, this Ramadan will be providing even more beneficial content, lectures, and programming for people all around the world, free of any cost or charge to them. In order for us to keep doing this work, we need your support, we need your help, we need you to be our partners in this Sadaqah Jariyah. Please go to supportqalam.com. That's support, Q-A-L-A-M, supportqalam.com, and provide your most generous support. Millions of people all around the world are insha'Allah, bi'idnillah, going to benefit from all of this work, and this will be your sadaqah jariyah for the eternal life of the hereafter. We really appreciate having you as part of the Qalam team and supporting us in this work, this mission, this cause. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhin astafa. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhin astafa. خصوصا على سيد الرسل وخاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله الأسكياء وأصحابه الأتقياء أما بعد The most important moment of your life The most valuable moment of your life Are the moments right before you depart this dunya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالْخَوَاتِيمِ Actions are based off of their endings. So a person spends their earlier life doing good or otherwise. But the truth is every moment prepares you for the moment that follows. If the moment that you're living in today is with purpose and meaning, Tomorrow when you face challenges in life and tomorrow when things get difficult, that purposeful mindset, that meaning will guide you through your difficulties. The human being struggles a lot when it comes to living with your own thoughts. If we were allowed to just be with our own thoughts, the concerns of our mismanagement of time and conversations, interactions of the past, and the worries and vulnerabilities of what lies ahead of us would consume us and drop us right in the pit of depression. Therefore, Rasulullah specifically made dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-husn. Oh Allah, protect me from the concerns and worries that aggravate and bother me of the past and also those of the future. Husn is for a person to grieve over the past and hum is for a person to be concern and grieve over the future. So in reality, if you were to cancel the past and future concerns of ours, all that remains is the present. And revelation is to help you make sense in your mind out of the world that you're living in this moment, this present. 
So I'm trying to figure out why things happen and why I'm feeling a particular way. Islam teaches us to trust Allah, rely on Allah, and understand that no matter what you're experiencing, if you choose fasting, how long will you think about an argument that you had with someone and the responses you weren't able to give? How many days will you continue to think about all the painful conversations that have been bothering you? How many weeks and years will continue on knowing that all these thoughts will lead to no action, no meaning, no purpose at all? It's just occupying your mind. You must learn to be more conscious of the real state up here. I need to be careful of who I give it to because every moment of today will lead to a stronger moment tomorrow. And all those moments then compile and they gather together and as a person's lying on their deathbed, they now have a level of confidence that things are going to work out because I s took my steps carefully in the past. There are so many examples of the scholars of the past and the Sahaba that when they were on their deathbed and their family members were crying, they would say to them, don't cry. I've prepared my entire life for this. There's no need for you to shed any tears. My entire life was a preparation for this moment because in this world, the most valuable and important moment is the moment right before you leave this world. Because from there, everything then transpires and everything then opens up. In one, pro one famous narration of Rasulullah he وسلم, said that when the final moments of a servant arrives, the malaika angel come to sit in that person's presence and they sit at the distance of, a, of the individual's sight and they come with bouquets and beautiful fragrance. Because it's in those moments as you approach death that you become extremely vulnerable and you realize no love, no power, no relationship, no attachment can save you from what's next. No one could. Your child will be holding your hand crying and those tears will fall in your ears and you'll hear the sound and you will know that in a few moments I won't be able to feel this touch anymore. I'll be able to hear the sound but I won't be able to feel it anymore. And so then you realize that these people that I have surrounded myself with in the world who have always been my cushion will no longer be there. It's like a person is stripped of their garments very uncomfortable and vulnerable. But the journey from there on is yours and yours alone to take. So in order to facilitate the journey for the believer, as their family members are leaving, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends an entourage of malaika to be there. That you're not alone, buddy. You spent your nights in the world remembering Allah. You think Allah will abandon you. You're not alone. We're here. Allah sent us here to give you comfort and give you peace. So as you're confronting death, look at us. Look at us. And to attract this person's attention, the hadith tells us that they open up a window, a door, that gives them a view of their abode in Jannah. So as the pain of death approaches them and it begins to settle in, and the soul begins to leave their body and their breath is now caught up in comfort. And that peace and comfort is 
that I'm leaving this beautiful world with these beautiful faces, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending me there to Jannah. In one hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, and there is nothing that I hesitate, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking, there is nothing I hesitate more to do than taking the soul of my servant for he dislikes it and I dislike displeasing him. However, death must occur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows very well how difficult it is for his servants, for his friends. But yet he facilitates it. So when the soul leaves the body, it then ascends into the heavens and it reaches the throne of Allah and every gate it passes by of paradise, the malaika ask whose soul it is. And when the name is announced, they welcome that person with open arms saying that we are very familiar with you because your good deeds would pass by quite frequently. You're a regular here in Jannah. We all know you. Kind of like that person that everyone at Best Buy knows because they're known for their returns. Like, oh, the return guy's here again. <laughs> this guy's definitely going to return. There's no point making this sale. You're not going to get any commission, buddy. Um, after that person's soul reaches Allah, in one narration, Allah gives it permission to do sajda. And imagine the joy that a person gets to do sajda in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after doing sajda their entire life before their Lord. Sajda for someone who does it properly is the most peaceful thing you can do because you're shutting out the world, pinning your forehead to the ground, attaching your heart to Allah, and then whispering in the most delicate, soft manner possible, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la. Glorified is my Lord, the Most High. It's as if it doesn't matter how low I go, my Allah remains as high as He is, as great as He is. And He loves to see me in this posture because this is a posture of humility and humbleness. And this is what He wants from His servants, not for human beings to act like gods, rather for them to accept their reality. The greatest journey of this relationship with Allah is this realization that we stop acting like gods ourselves. This realization of where you are and what your relationship with Allah is, as uncomfortable as it may be, and that's why it's a journey, because not everyone is able to wholeheartedly accept that they are servants of Allah. That word servant is very heavy. And it really hammers you into the ground. But this realization is what we call ubudiyah. That a person is comfortable in saying that I am a servant of Allah and as Allah commands and as He says and as He does, as He wills, I'll be happy with it. So if you were to look at all the stories of the Anbiya in the Qur'an, their high and low moments are all plastered in the sifa of ubudiyah. Their entire lives, from beginning to end, we're all discovered in this one trait of them being servants to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was never a moment where they stepped out of character or stepped out of line. There was never one. It was all embedded in that. So whether they got accepted into a job or rejected from a proposal or whether they were healthy or whether they were sick, whatever the case was, they were always in a position of ubudiyah and Allah loves that. So the hadith says that after this person does sajda, 
their soul returns back to the grave and the malaika then approach. In one hadith, Nabi sallallahu says, alihim, That the person lying in the grave can hear the footsteps of the people walking away from their grave. It's from this narration, the Sahaba, uh, a group of the Sahaba took the position that the dead can hear the living. This is the position of the Sahaba. And there were other Sahaba, like Ummul Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha, who are not so much in favor of this, and they cited other verses, uh, the Sahaba who were in favor of it, they made a difference between Isma' and Sima'. Isma' means to cause someone to hear. And they say when Allah negates hearing of the dead, it's for you to innately have the ability to make someone hear versus you speaking and the other hearing. It's a small technicality. But regardless, as that person's soul returns back to the grave, the malaika then come and ask their questions. And if the answers are right, the hadith mentions that the grave opens up. And a window is opened up for them to see their abode in paradise. And they say to the person, sleep the sleeping of a newlywed. For those of you that have been married, are married, well, no. When a person is married for that first night, there is a joy. There is a happiness. There is an aura of just excitement that's really hard to describe in words because you're stepping into a new place, something you've always wanted, something you've dreamed of. It has less to do with the comforter less to do with the bed, the mattress quality. You could be sleeping on a rock-hard ground, but now you're with your beloved. So there is a little bit of a, you know, antsy excitement. So that's the word that the malaika say to this person, sleep, the sleeping of a newlywed. You need to rest a little before the Day of Judgment. Naturally, that person asks, what about my family members? So the hadith says, the malaika say, you will meet them on the Day of Judgment. Let's not worry about them right now. In one riwayah at that point, a person appears in that person's grave and he asks, who are you? And the person says that I am your good deeds. I am here to be with you so you never feel lonely. This is the journey of the soul of the righteous one. As for the one who betrayed Allah, who lived a life of arrogance, there's a very different picture there. Rasulullah describes the final moments of that person as one full of agony and pain. Because all the disobedience and arrogance and negligence to Allah, specifically that disobedience and negligence that is a result of arrogance and not just pure negligence, you know, there's a difference between a person being lazy and disobeying Allah and another person just being stubborn. I don't accept this verse. This is archaic. This verse is for camel jockeys, not for us very smart, intelligent people that are driving EVs. This is not for us. I don't care what the Quran says. It goes against my liberal, conservative values. So you take your revelation and throw it in the garbage. This sort of denial of revelation actually very eloquently fits the definition of kufr. It's a solid definition. And that approach and that language to Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, addresses those people in first person that I know how to deal with you people. You come to me on the day of judgment. 
your words should not be taken as your Lord being incompetent to respond to you. Your response will come. Say, talk. Build the case against yourself. Pile up it all. Pile it all up. But when it's our turn to speak, then you'll have to stay shut. And no one will save you. No wealth, no family, no parent. You wish to disobey Allah, do tawbah. If that's what happens, repent to Allah, be humble. But arrogance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly in his own Quran, and as difficult as this may be, you read the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, I know how to deal with arrogant people. Let them come. These are all different verses. You can read the translation on your own. But Allah says, I know how to deal with these people who deal with arrogance. We'll flatten them out when their time comes. So for them, the hadith says the angels come in dark, heavy garments with a strong stench that brings nothing but discomfort to them. And as they're leaving this world, the thought may cross their mind that, oh, this pain is about to be over, this illness, so things will be easier. The malaika opened up a window. Nobody, nothing's about to be easier for you. Allah gave you freedom. Allah gave you intellect. Each person sitting here right now holds the opportunity and ability to raise their hands this night and earn their freedom and their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Each person here can do that. It's a matter of choice, like we spoke about in the Jama'a Khutbah for those of you that were there, that intelligent people know when to choose to do the right thing. They aren't okay with just being followers. The hadith continues, it's a long one. At the end of it, the narration says that as the malaika come and ask him questions, he is incapable of giving the right answer. So as a result of that, the grave, rather than opening up, it constricts. Imagine the pain. You guys ever been alone? Anyone here been alone? Any form of loneliness. I'm talking about emotional or physical. It's not easy. It's hard. Ask someone who's struggling with depression. They'll tell you it sucks, man. Because you could be surrounded by people, but always almost know that no one else gets you. If someone were to ask me to describe the ummah, possibly I would say that it's kind of like we've all been thrown into a dark well and we're all at the bottom of it alone without realizing that we're so close to each other with no light and everyone is just sad because they don't know what to do anymore. And there are these few people that Allah gives strength to who build the courage and strength to climb out of that well and are pulling everyone else out. That you're not alone. We're here together. This is what it means to be an ummah, actually. That we're here together. No one's alone. Not one person sitting here. We're all together. We're one hand together, one strength together. So this person's alone in the grave, and then the, and the grave constricts on them, and just as the good deeds of that other person came to give them company, for this person, Allah sends snakes and scorpions to give them company. Because just as the mercy of Allah is magnificent and beautiful, one that when we hear of it, it brings a smile to our face. And that's what the rahmah of Allah is supposed to do. 
It's supposed to give you strength and confidence and bring a smile and make you feel good. And the punishment of Allah should actually have the opposite effect for you to know that you actually understand what the consequences are. Because if you don't appreciate the consequences, you'll just skip work. Who cares? You'll be tardy to school. Who cares? But when you're told that if your kids are absent from school X number of days, you will have a court hearing, every mama and baba's awake. I don't want to be in court with my kids. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq and understanding. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to utilize our time in this world wisely. These days will pass by, my friends. If you live long enough, you will see your own hair turn white. Those that are around you and they're young will be old and the old will leave. You'll begin to say to one another that so-and-so teacher of mine has passed away. So-and-so parent of mine and uncle and aunt of mine has passed away. You can't ever underestimate the power of these moments that you have. Strength, ability, opportunity, freedom. These are all very valuable things. Tonight being a potential night of Laylatul Qadr, ups the importance of what we speak about to a whole different level. As you're sitting here listening to lectures, my final advice is this. Tonight just can't be all about lectures. It can't because, you know, like, lectures are good, but it's, lectures are like, these, the, 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 like that starter. Something has to come out of it. We don't just want the fire for the sake of the fire. We need something to come out of it. And if you're feeling something, if something's making sense to you and it's connecting and you're like, oh, this makes sense to me, find yourself a moment this night, whether it's just right now, just close your eyes, turn to your heart and have a conversation with Allah. Before you leave, see if you can pray to Raqqa and cry in front of Allah. And honestly, before Ramadan's over, I ask each of you, we have a few nights left, have a you and Allah moment before Ramadan's over. See if you can find yourself in tears, just calling out to your Allah and repenting to Allah and asking Him for His mercy and directing your heart to His love. For He has directed the hearts of many unworthy people before and we are not but another line of people waiting, asking Him for that very same love. It's just His kun, His be, and it will. And our task is to continue to stand and knock on that door and keep asking Allah that, Ya Allah, our unworthiness will never change, but your mercy will also never change. So I have stopped looking at my own sins, and now I only focus on your mercy. So forgive this soul, and draw it in, keep it close, never abandon it. Open up to it the doors of your love and the light of your recognition. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. خصوصا على سيد الرسل وخاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله الأسكياء وأصحابه الأتقياء أما بعد The most important moment of your life The most valuable moment of your life Are the moments right before you depart this dunya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us 
Actions are based off of their endings. So a person spends their earlier life doing good or otherwise. But the truth is, every moment prepares you for the moment that follows. If the moment that you're living in today is with purpose and meaning, tomorrow when you face challenges in life and tomorrow when things get difficult, that purposeful mindset, that meaning will guide you through your difficulties. The human being struggles a lot when it comes to living with your own thoughts. If we were allowed to just be with our own thoughts, the concerns of our mismanagement of time and conversations, interactions of the past, and the worries and vulnerabilities of what lies ahead of us would consume us and drop us right in the pit of depression. Therefore, Rasulullah specifically made dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-huzn. Oh Allah, protect me from the concerns and worries that aggravate and bother me of the past and also those of the future. Huzn is for a person to grieve over the past and hum is for a person to be concerned and grieve over the future. So in reality, if you were to cancel the past and future concerns of ours, all that remains is the present. And revelation is to help you make sense in your mind out of the world that you're living in this moment, this present. So I'm trying to figure out why things happen and why I'm feeling a particular way. Islam teaches us to trust Allah, rely on Allah, and understand that no matter what you're experiencing, if you choose exhausting, how long will you think about an argument that you had with someone and the responses you weren't able to give? How many days will you continue to think about all the painful conversations that have been bothering you? How many weeks and years will continue on knowing that all these thoughts will lead to no action, no meaning, no purpose at all? It's just occupying your mind. You must learn to be more conscious of the real state up here. I need to be careful of who I give it to because every moment of today will lead to a stronger moment tomorrow. And all those moments then compile and they gather together and as a person's lying on their deathbed, they now have a level of confidence that things are going to work out because I s took my steps carefully in the past. There are so many examples of the scholars of the past and the Sahaba that when they were on their deathbed and their family members were crying, they would say to them, don't cry. I've prepared my entire life for this. There's no need for you to shed any tears. My entire life was a preparation for this moment because in this world, the most valuable and important moment is the moment right before you leave this world. Because from there, everything then transpires and everything then opens up. In one, pro one famous narration of Rasulullah he وسلم, said that when the final moments of a servant arrives, the malaika angel come to sit in that person's presence and they sit at the distance of, a, of the individual's sight and they come with bouquets and beautiful fragrance. Because it's in those moments as you approach death that you become extremely vulnerable. 
and you realize no love, no power, no relationship, no attachment can save you from what's next. No one could. Your child will be holding your hand crying and those tears will fall in your ears and you'll hear the sound and you will know that in a few moments I won't be able to feel this touch anymore. I'll be able to hear the sound but I won't be able to feel it anymore. And so then you realize that these people that I have surrounded myself with in the world who have always been my cushion will no longer be there. It's like a person is stripped of their garments. Very uncomfortable and vulnerable. But the journey from there on is yours and yours alone to take. So in order to facilitate the journey for the believer, as their family members are leaving, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends an entourage of malaika to be there. That you're not alone, buddy. You spent your nights in the world remembering Allah. You think Allah will abandon you. You're not alone. We're here. Allah sent us here to give you comfort and give you peace. So as you're confronting death, look at us. Look at us. And to attract this person's attention, the hadith tells us that they open up a window, a door, that gives them a view of their abode in Jannah. So as the pain of death approaches them and it begins to settle in, and the soul begins to leave their body and their breath is now caught up in comfort. And that peace and comfort is that I'm leaving this beautiful world with these beautiful faces, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending me there to Jannah. In one hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that and there is nothing that I hesitate this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking there is nothing I hesitate more to do than taking the soul of my servant for he dislikes it and I dislike displeasing him. However, death must occur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows very well how difficult it is for his servants, for his friends. But yet he facilitates it. So when the soul leaves the body, it then ascends into the heavens and it reaches the throne of Allah and every gate it passes by of paradise, the malaika ask whose soul it is. And when the name is announced, they welcome that person with open arms saying that we are very familiar with you because your good deeds would pass by quite frequently. You're a regular here in Jannah. We all know you. Kind of like that person that everyone at Best Buy knows because they're known for their returns. Like, oh, the return guy's here again. <laughs> this guy's definitely going to return. There's no point in making this sale. You're not going to get any commission, buddy. Um, after that person's soul reaches Allah, in one narration, Allah gives it permission to do sajda. And imagine the joy that a person gets to do sajda in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after doing sajda their entire life before their Lord. Sajda for someone who does it properly is the most peaceful thing you can do because you're shutting out the world, pinning your forehead to the ground, attaching your heart to Allah, and then whispering in the most delicate, soft manner possible, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la. Glorified is my Lord, the Most High. It's as if it doesn't matter how low I go, 
May Allah remains as high as He is, as great as He is. And He loves to see me in this posture because this is a posture of humility and humbleness. And this is what He wants from His servants, not for human beings to act like gods, rather for them to accept their reality. The greatest journey of this relationship with Allah is this realization that we stop acting like gods ourselves. This realization of where you are and what your relationship with Allah is, as uncomfortable as it may be, and that's why it's a journey, because not everyone is able to wholeheartedly accept that they are servants of Allah. That word servant is very heavy. And it really hammers you into the ground. But this realization is what we call ubudiyah. That a person is comfortable in saying that I am a servant of Allah and as Allah commands and as He says and as He does, as He wills, I'll be happy with it. So if you were to look at all the stories of the Anbiya in the Qur'an, their high and low moments are all plastered in the sifa of ubudiyah. Their entire lives, from beginning to end, were all discovered in this one trait of them being servants to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was never a moment where they stepped out of character or stepped out of line. There was never one. It was all embedded in that. So whether they got accepted into a job or rejected from a proposal or whether they were healthy or whether they were sick, whatever the case was, they were always in a position of ubudiyah and Allah loves that. So the hadith says that after this person does sajda, their soul returns back to the grave and the malaika then approach in one hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa that the person lying in the grave can hear the footsteps of the people walking away from their grave. It's from this narration, the Sahaba, uh, a group of the Sahaba took the position that the dead can hear the living. This is the position of the Sahaba. And there were other Sahaba, like Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha, who are not so much in favor of this, and they cited other verses, uh, the Sahaba who were in favor of it, they made a difference between isma' and sima'. Isma' means to cause someone to hear. And they say when Allah negates hearing of the dead, it's for you to innately have the ability to make someone hear versus you speaking and the other hearing. It's a small technicality. But regardless, as that person's soul returns back to the grave, the malaika then come and ask their questions, and if the answers are right, the hadith mentions that the grave opens up. And a window is opened up for them to see their abode in paradise. And they say to the person, sleep the sleeping of a newlywed. For those of you that have been married, are married, will know when a person is married for that first night, there is a joy, there is a happiness. There is an aura of just excitement that's really hard to describe in words because you're stepping into a new place, something you've always wanted, something you've dreamed of. It has less to do with the comforter, less to do with the bed, the mattress quality. You could be sleeping on a rock-hard ground, but now you're with your beloved. So there is a little bit of a, you know, antsy excitement. So that's the word that the malaika say to this person, sleep, the sleeping of a newlywed. You need to rest a little before the day of judgment. Naturally, that person asks, 
What about my family members? So the hadith says, the malaika say, you will meet them on the day of judgment. Let's not worry about them right now. In one riwayah at that point, a person appears in that person's grave and he asks, who are you? And the person says that I am your good deeds. I am here to be with you so you never feel lonely. This is the journey of the soul of the righteous one. As for the one who betrayed Allah, who lived a life of arrogance, there's a very different picture there. Rasulullah describes the final moments of that person as one full of agony and pain. Because all the disobedience and arrogance and negligence to Allah, specifically that disobedience and negligence that is a result of arrogance and not just pure negligence, you know, there's a difference between a person being lazy and disobeying Allah and another person just being stubborn. I don't accept this verse. This is archaic. This verse is for camel jockeys, not for us very smart, intelligent people that are driving EVs. This is not for us. I don't care what the Quran says. It goes against my liberal, conservative values. So you take your revelation and throw it in the garbage. This sort of denial of revelation actually very eloquently fits the definition of kufr. It's a solid definition. And that approach and that language to Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, addresses those people in first person that I know how to deal with you people. You come to me on the day of judgment. Your words should not be taken as your Lord being incompetent to respond to you. Your response will come. Say, talk. Build a case against yourself. Pile up it all. Pile it all up. But when it's our turn to speak, then you'll have to stay shut. And no one will save you. No wealth, no family, no parent. You wish to disobey Allah, do tawbah. If that's what happens, repent to Allah, be humble. But arrogance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly in his own Quran, and as difficult as this may be, you read the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, I know how to deal with arrogant people. Let them come. I mean, these are all different verses. You can read the translation on your own. But Allah says, I know how to deal with these people who deal with arrogance. We'll flatten them out when their time comes. So for them, the hadith says, the angels come in dark, heavy garments with a strong stench that brings nothing but discomfort to them. And as they're leaving this world, the thought may cross their mind that, oh, this pain is about to be over, this illness, so things will be easier. The malaika opened up a window. Nobody, nothing's about to be easier for you. Allah gave you freedom. Allah gave you intellect. Each person sitting here right now holds the opportunity and ability to raise their hands this night and earn their freedom and their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Each person here can do that. It's a matter of choice. Like we spoke about in the Jum'ah Khutbah for those of you that were there. That intelligent people know when to choose to do the right thing. They aren't okay with just being followers. The hadith continues, it's a long one. 
at the end of it, the narration says that as the malaika come and ask him questions, he is incapable of giving the right answer. So as a result of that, the grave, rather than opening up, it constricts. Imagine the pain. You guys ever been alone? Anyone here been alone? Any form of loneliness. I'm talking about emotional or physical. It's not easy. It's hard. Ask someone who's struggling with depression. They'll tell you it sucks, man. Because you could be surrounded by people, but always almost know that no one else gets you. If someone were to ask me to describe the ummah, possibly I would say that it's kind of like we've all been thrown into a dark well and we're all at the bottom of it alone without realizing that we're so close to each other with no light and everyone is just sad because they don't know what to do anymore. And there are these few people that Allah gives strength to who build the courage and strength to climb out of that well and are pulling everyone else out. That You're not alone. We're here together. This is what it means to be an ummah actually. That we're here together. No one's alone. Not one person sitting here. We're all together. We're one hand together, one strength together. So this person's alone in the grave and then the, and the grave constricts on them and just as the good deeds of that other person came to give them company, for this person Allah sends snakes and scorpions to give them company. Because just as the mercy of Allah is magnificent and beautiful, one that when we hear of it, it brings a smile to our face and that's what the rahmah of Allah is supposed to do. It's supposed to give you strength and confidence and bring a smile and make you feel good. And the punishment of Allah should actually have the opposite effect for you to know that you actually understand what the consequences are. Because if you don't appreciate the consequences, you'll just skip work. Who cares? You'll be tardy to school. Who cares? But when you're told that if your kids are absent from school X number of days, you will have a court hearing, every mama and baba's awake. I don't want to be in court with my kids. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq in understanding. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to utilize our time in this world wisely. These days will pass by, my friends. If you live long enough, you will see your own hair turn white. Those that are around you and they're young will be old, and the old will leave. You'll begin to say to one another that so-and-so teacher of mine have passed, has passed away. So-and-so parent of mine and uncle and aunt of mine has passed away. You can't ever underestimate the power of these moments that you have. Strength, ability, opportunity, freedom. These are all very valuable things. Tonight being a potential night of Laylatul Qadr, ups the importance of what we speak about to a whole different level. As you're sitting here listening to lectures, my final advice is this. Tonight just can't be all about lectures. It can't because, you know, like, lectures are good, but it's, lectures are like, these, the, 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 like that starter. Something has to come out of it. We don't just want the fire for the sake of the fire. We need something to come out of it. And if you're feeling something, if something's making sense to you and it's connecting and you're like, oh, this makes sense to me, find yourself a moment this night, whether it's just right now, just close your eyes, turn to your heart and have a conversation with Allah.
before you leave, see if you can pray two rakah and cry in front of Allah. And honestly, before Ramadan's over, I ask each of you, we have a few nights left, have a you and Allah moment before Ramadan's over. See if you can find yourself in tears, just calling out to your Allah and repenting to Allah and asking Him for His mercy and directing your heart to His love. For He has directed the hearts of many unworthy people before and we are not but another line of people waiting, asking Him for that very same love. It's just His kun, His be, and it will. And our task is to continue to stand and knock on that door and keep asking Allah that, Ya Allah, our unworthiness will never change, but your mercy will also never change. So I have stopped looking at my own sins, and now I only focus on your mercy. So forgive this soul and draw it in, keep it close, never abandon it. Open up to it the doors of your love and the light of your recognition. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.